These two weeks, this week and next, are special Sundays for us here at Gospel Grace Church because this week we talk about the gospel and next week we talk about grace. Every fall we do this to remind ourselves of these two very important truths. This morning, the gospel, the word simply means good news. It's the good news that though we were lost in darkness, the light of the world came down, Jesus. He died in our place to pay for the debt of all of our sins. And then he rose again three days later to offer life and forgiveness to all who believe in him. The gospel, the good news. Well, this morning, we're going to see that played out in a man who is blind. It's in John chapter 9. I hope you've been able to find it in your Bible, your tablet, or on your phone. And I want to invite you to follow along as I read. I'll read John chapter 9, and when I finish the chapter, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord. And you can respond, thanks be to God. Would you follow along, please, as I read this morning? John chapter 9, verse 1, I'll be reading from the ESV. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing the neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, it is he. Others said, no, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, then how were your eyes opened? He answered, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I washed and received my sight. They said to him, where is he? He said, I do not know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been formerly blind. Now, it was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. Others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? He said, he is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, is this your son who you say was born blind? 
How then does he now see? His parents answered, We know that this is our son, and that he was born blind. But how he now sees, we do not know. Nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He is of age. He'll speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age. Ask him. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that I was blind, now I see. They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to be his disciples? They reviled him, saying, you are his disciple, but we are the disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, but yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. This, if this man were not from God, he could do nothing, they answered him. You were born of utter sin, and you would teach us? They cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And having found him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? He answered, who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, you have seen him and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Jesus said, for judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see. And those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, We see, your guilt remains. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together and then look into this text. Lord, we realize that from birth, we all start out separated from you. We're in darkness. We're blind to the truth. We're bent on our own sinful desires, but you are the light of the world. And so this morning we ask, would you shine into the deepest caverns of our souls? Would you brighten the dimmest corners of our hearts Jesus, we know that you came to proclaim good news to the poor. You came to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to captives, to provide sight to the blind. And so speak to us today through your word. Make us see today. We're tired of the darkness. We're done with this delusion that somehow we can make it on our own. No, Lord, we ask that you would make us children of light. Help us to live as children of light. We pray this in your name. Amen and amen. 
The Feast of Tabernacles was the setting of great conflict this particular year in Jesus' ministry. John records some of the surrounding events in chapters 7, 8, leading right up to our text today in chapter 9. At the Feast of Tabernacles, as priests poured out water from the pool of Siloam, Jesus stood by, and if you read the the previous chapters, you'll see Jesus stood by and he said, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me. Later, during the Feast of Tabernacles, as Levitical youth would climb ladders to light these huge candelabras in the temple court, Jesus raised his voice and he said, I am the light of the world. Now, the religious leaders who heard him weren't stupid. They knew what Jesus was implying by calling people to come to him for living water or telling people to come to him for the light of life. Jesus was suggesting that people were dying of spiritual thirst. He was suggesting that somehow the people of Israel were lost in darkness. And and this idea infuriated the religious leaders, because it exposed them as dead wicks, no light, dry cups, no water. Well, that wasn't the end of it. Jesus went on during this Feast of Tabernacles, and he tells these Jewish leaders that he's from above and they're from below. He told them, There's nothing in your life to substantiate the claim that you are the children of Abraham. Can you imagine Jesus telling the religious leaders that during the Feast of Tabernacles? As a matter of fact, Jesus said, you are more akin to your father, the devil. And it's because they were set on doing the devil's work. Well, this religious crowd couldn't take it anymore. Who do you make yourself out to be? They asked. To which Jesus replied, catch this, before Abraham was, do you know the next phrase? I am. Now, when Jesus said that, when Jesus claimed to be Yahweh, the I am of the Old Testament, when Jesus said that, their fists were clenched, their jaws were set, They were like dogs foaming at the mouth. They picked up stones in rage. They wanted to kill him. You call yourself the I am of our forefathers? You equate yourself with Yahweh? They clutched their rocks, ready to stone him for being a blasphemer. But as John chapter 8, verse 59 explains, Jesus hid himself And he went out of the temple. So I'm telling you this whole story. This is how it's unfolding at the Feast of Tabernacles. This is the tension going on right there in Jerusalem. And Jesus slips out of the temple right when they're ready to kill him. Now pause for a moment at Jesus departing. Historical records in the Mishnah tell us that there was a daily custom during the Feast of Tabernacles Apparently, when the priests would leave the temple through the east gate during the Feast of Tabernacles, they would turn around and they would face west. 
they would say this phrase. Listen carefully. Our fathers, when they were in this place, they turned their backs towards the temple of the Lord and their faces toward the east and they worshiped the sun toward the east. But as for us, our eyes are turned toward the Lord. The religious leaders each day during the Feast of Tabernacles would deride their forefathers for being idolaters. And they would puff out their chests and they would say, but as for us, our faces are toward the Lord. But was that true? The Son of God was in their midst, but they turned their faces away from him. As a matter of fact, they wanted to kill him. That's the setting of John chapter 9. As Jesus leaves the temple area there in Jerusalem, he's on a road. And he passes by a man that was blind from birth. A man whose entire existence had been in darkness. He had never known the bursting rays of sun. You know when they come up over the mountains here, you can see the sun come up and it's almost like we get this golden ribbon across the top of the mountains. It's a be- Some of you need to wake up a little earlier. You'll enjoy it. <laughs> it's beautiful. But this guy never saw something like that. He never knew the calming flicker of a candle at night. You know how it spreads this soft glow across a room? He knew nothing of it. Instead, like a thick shroud, darkness hemmed him in on all sides. That is, until this particular day. There on the dusty road, near the temple, the light of the world, Jesus, stepped into his darkness. With compassion, he looked at him. He set his gaze upon this poor man. That's what you see in verse number one. Notice John chapter 9 Verse one, it says, as he, meaning Jesus, as he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. Though we could read right over that phrase, I want us to pause and notice this first important point, encapsulated in two words. He saw. It's not indicating merely that this blind man came into Jesus' field of vision. No, it's saying he saw him. I mean, he really saw him. From verse number one, I want you to know and believe that Jesus sees us when no one else does. This beggar had never known the painted sky He'd never seen fields of lush grass blowing like waves of the sea. He'd never watched a flock of birds. He'd never gazed upon a starry night. As a matter of fact, he'd never seen his mother's face. He'd never known his father's smile. His life was cloaked in darkness. He was always dependent on a friendly arm or an uncertain cane. This man was disabled. And because of it, in this culture, his life was diminished. People passed him by. People passed him up. They wouldn't stop. And think for a minute what it was like for this guy. 
What would it be like to be blind from birth? To never know what it's like to run full out. I mean, can you imagine yourself ever running full out if you were completely blind? He never knew what it was like to see the sea. I mean, he could hear the crashing waves. He could smell the salty air, but he couldn't see it. He could walk past gardens, but the words red, yellow, purple, green were meaningless to him. These disabilities left him in the background. Things were out of reach for him. In this culture, at this time, he was a nobody and a nothing. He was chained to the shadows of society. In ancient Judea, disabled people customarily claimed spots of dirt along popularly traveled roads. And so you can imagine this blind man had a matted piece of mud along the road. This road leading to the temple. He's got this small clay pot and perhaps a little stick, and he'd hit it. Click, 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 click. Alms, alms for the poor. Blind since birth, would you help me, please? He'd just call out. Is anyone there? Can you see me? I'm blind, I need some help. And he'd click that little pot. But he was just another beggar, and there were lots of them. People had stuff to do and places to go. No time for broken things or broken people. It's easier to ignore them, to walk past them, not give them a second glance or a second chance. And that's how it was for this blind man. People didn't see him. They just kept walking. They're lost in their own drama. They're captivated by their own dreams. They never see this guy. And I think that's how we need to understand this scene when we look at verse number one. Jesus walks by in verse one, it says, and he sees him. Not so that he can go to the other side of the road. No, he, he saw the blind man and he moved towards him. Now, this is where the disciples get rude. Did you pick this up? It's, it's right at the beginning there in verse number one. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And what did the disciples do next? they start doing this public root cause analysis. You know, like, okay, let's dissect this situation. Somehow forgetting that just because he can't see doesn't mean he can't hear. They say, so Jesus, who sinned that this guy ends up blind? Was it him or was it his parents? Wow, nice. Way to be compassionate, guys. They're basically suggesting that if bad things happen, it must be because someone messed up. The disciples assumed that this man's blindness was a punishment for sin. And so here's Jesus, and he beautifully redeems this awkward moment, those calloused words. And he focuses on the purpose rather than the cause of this man's blindness. Jesus knows that suffering, sickness, disability, and death came into the world because of sin. But he rejects the disciples' explanation that specific disabilities correspond to specific sins. In verse number three, Jesus says, the purpose, that's what he focuses on, the purpose of this blindness was so that the works of God might be manifested. 
God had decided that one day he would overrule the disaster of this man's blindness and allow him to see the glory of God in the face of Jesus. Now, it's easier to leave people in judgment than learn about God's purposes in their life. The disciples were willing to keep going, but Jesus stops and sees this man. And I just wonder, is that a comfort to you this morning? This idea that Jesus sees you. He doesn't pass by. You're not invisible to him. Your suffering, your loneliness, your scars, your tears, your brokenness, they're not marginalized to the shadows. Your life circumstances, listen friends, your life circumstances won't keep you from the kind look of the Savior. Jesus sees us when no one else does. Verse one, he passed by and he saw. But that's not all. Jesus sees us when no one else does. Notice how the story continues. Jesus heals us when no one else can. We see that in verses six and seven. Jesus heals us when no one else can. The nature of this man's blindness wasn't that he had cataracts, you know, like, let's take him down, get the cataracts removed, he's going to have better vision in the end. No, that wasn't the point. He didn't have a splinter, he didn't need LASIK, no, that's not it. This man, it says in verse number two, was born blind. Verse 32, look at verse 32, he clearly says, Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. He didn't have onset vision loss. He'd been in the dark all his life. There was no vitamin deficiency. We can't give him some essential oils. It's not going to work. He has an incurable condition. And that's what we're, we're told here in this text. So this guy could go to an apothecary, he could visit the physicians, people could make magic potions or give him special lotions, but the fact is, this man's darkness was so utter and complete, it seemed as though there was no healing possible. By all the medical standards of the day, he would never see light. I wonder how many people feel that trapped in darkness. I wonder if you're here this morning and maybe you feel trapped in darkness. Maybe you suffer from a blindness of sorts. Maybe you feel like there's no hope for healing. You've tried 12 steps. You've gotten a variegated array of prescription medications. You've tried counselors and therapists. You've tried alternative medicines. You've placed filters on your phone. You've changed networks. You've dieted. You've disciplined your life. You've tried to think more positively. You've tried to pursue happiness. You've done this and that and this and that. But you feel lost in the darkness, stuck there. It's heavy, it's relentless. It won't allow you to escape. It seems like wherever you go, the darkness follows you. I wonder if some of you feel like there's no healing possible. Maybe you feel like this blind man on the road in Jerusalem. 
I think it's important that we establish the nature of this man's blindness in the text because the healing of this man's sight is a parable for the healing of a sinner's heart. My friends, it's not as though we have some late onset sinfulness. No, my friends, this isn't something accidental. We didn't just make a whoops in life. No, we are in the darkness of sin. We were born that way. We've been in the darkness of sin all of our lives. We've practiced it. We've perfected it. Jesus puts it this way. In John chapter 3, verse 19, men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. So the nature of our blindness is congenital. It's hereditary. It's innate. It's ingrained. Our sinful darkness seems to have no cure. And I think that's why some people feel like they have no hope. But what I love about this account in our text this morning is that on that particular day, something supernatural occurred. Someone supernatural stopped and looked at this blind man's plight. The light of the world, verse number five. He stepped into darkness and opened the blind man's eyes, allowed him to see. Now, Jesus used... I don't know if you caught this when I read the text, but Jesus used a bit of an odd technique. You might be thinking he's going to heal this blind man by gowning up, putting on these rubber gloves, making sure his booties are on, prepping the OR, double checking to make sure everything is sterile. Yes, the laser's ready to go. The instruments are all set out. This is going to be groundbreaking surgery. My friends, if you're thinking of a hospital operating room or a LASIK surgical suite, you've got the wrong picture. You see, look at verse number six. Look what happens. Oh, this guy's blind. So Jesus spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva, and then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud. Well, that sounds like a good technique. Oh, you can't see? Here's some mud. Go and wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. Now, I'm not sure why Jesus used saliva and mud, but he did. In fact, if you read the gospel accounts, you realize there are two other times in which Jesus used spit in healing miracles. He healed a man with a speech impediment by spitting and touching his tongue, Mark 7:33. And then he also healed another blind man by spitting on his eyes, Mark 8, 23. Here in John 9, the saliva is used, and this is the important part of the story, to make mud. Now this is key because in order for Jesus to make the mud, he spits in the dirt and he moves the dirt and the mud together, or the dirt and the saliva together until it turns to mud. He performed what the Pharisees will accuse him of, the act of kneading, like kneading dough. He was kneading the saliva into the, into the dirt. Since it was Sabbath, this created a great problem for the Pharisees. You see, they had these traditional constrictions, 39 rules for the Sabbath, and this violated one of them because Jesus was working. You know, he's kneading. It probably wasn't like this. It was probably more like this, you know? <laughs> But that's what they're going to accuse him of. 
Now, what's interesting here is just like earlier in the Gospel of John, in John chapter 5, there's a man who was crippled for 38 years. Jesus heals the crippled man, and the Pharisees get upset because they focus on the method of healing instead of the miracle of healing. They get upset because this man who had been crippled for 38 years is carrying his mat on the Sabbath day. And we see something similar here. Here's a guy who's been blind from birth. He can now see, but the Pharisees don't care. Miracle, schmiracle. He was kneading some mud. This man's a sinner. He's not from God. They can't even see it. I mean, you want to talk about blind people. They were the blind ones. Sabbath rest was for renewal and healing. But they thought it was for rules and regulations. And they missed the fact that Jesus just healed this man who had been born blind when no one else could. Here's this man. He washes in the pool of Siloam and he can see. I want to do a poll of this room this morning. I want to know how many of you have in your life worn contacts or glasses? Just put your hands in the air. I want to see how, wow. All right, I hope you wore them this morning. All right, contacts or glasses. Do you remember, think back, do you remember your first pair of glasses, the very first ones? I was, I was reading this and I was thinking about my very first pair of glasses. I was seven years old when I got my first pair of glasses. They were these wire-rimmed, kind of gold wire-rimmed teardrop glasses that my mom said looked good on me. <laughs> yeah, you know that. I'll never forget the drive home, though. Do you remember that? Your first pair of contacts or glasses. When I was going home that day from the optometrist, it was like there was a whole new world. I can clearly remember as a kid, I can remember seeing the leaves on the trees. Like they weren't just blobs of green. You're like, wow, trees have leaves. This was amazing to me. Life was crisp and clear and full and alive, and it was new for me. And I just imagine, here's this guy, verse number seven. He went and he washed, and it says, verse seven, he came back seeing. I picture this dirty, poor, unkempt man in rag clothes. Remember, he had been a beggar. No hope, no help, destitute. And if that wasn't bad enough, he had globules of spit and mud pasted across his eyes. He gropes his way to the pool of Siloam. He's in darkness. He washes, like Jesus says, and suddenly, for the first time, he sees. Like, I wonder what that was like to see the water. You know, did he splash it? Did he look at his reflection for the first time? He didn't know what he even looked like. I wonder what it was like for him to walk. He sees people, the roads, animals, the sky, the sky. I mean, you can almost imagine just tears running down this man's dirty face. What a work of grace. This blind guy didn't take his little pot that had the denarii in it, his begging pot, and pour it out to Jesus and say, here, Jesus, I'm going to pay you back for what you did. He didn't pull out his resume and show Jesus why he, above all other beggars, deserved to be healed. No, he didn't do that. This was a total work of grace. It's not because he was a worthy blind man. 
It's because Jesus is a gracious Savior. Jesus saw him in his darkness and healed him by his grace. My friends, that's what Jesus can do for you. He's not looking for you to pull out your wallet. What an insult. He's not looking for you to produce a resume. Look at how worthy I am, Jesus. Now, would you help me? What an insult. No, Jesus is the sort of savior that ministers grace. Free favor. That's what he did in this story. In Luke chapter four, verse 18, when Jesus first started his ministry, he said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to proclaim good news or the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. You see, my friends, Jesus is the light of the world. He came to give sight to the spiritually blind and it's all by his grace. We sang a song earlier in our service. It was written by a man named John Newton. John Newton was an English sailor and slave trader from the 1700s. He was a terrible sinner, trapped in layers and layers of darkness until he was in a storm at sea. He thought he would die, and so he picked up a Bible and began to read. Eventually, he placed his trust in Jesus, and he was delivered, rescued, saved by God's grace. He became a pastor and a hymn writer, and he's probably best known for his hymn, Amazing Grace. Think about the first lines of that song. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but now I see. This man on the road near Jerusalem was blind. But because of the grace of Jesus, he was healed and able to see. Jesus sees when no one else does. Jesus heals when no one else can. And one last thing I want to share with you from this story is that Jesus loves when no one else will. As the narrative unfolds, the Pharisees get involved. They start this formal investigation. Now, you need to know from the beginning they don't care a lick about this healed man. They don't care that he's been a beggar all of his life. They don't care that he was disabled and blind, that he had to sit on the side of the road. They don't care about any of that. All they want to do is use him to trap Jesus. You can almost hear him. Yeah, 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 that's great. You can see now. But how did it happen? Who was involved? You see this picture of a stammering man. Jesus put mud on my eyes and I washed and now I can see, verse 15. Stop telling us this garbage, they yelled back at him. Give glory to God. Tell the truth, you fool. We know that this Jesus is a sinner. He made mud on the Sabbath. Verse 24. These Pharisees didn't care about the man in the whole middle portion of this chapter, it's all about how they call witnesses and they interrogate people. And you can read the account as they question the blind man, verse 15. Then they question his parents, verse 18. Then they bring the blind man back again, verse 24, to question him a second time. 
But nothing will satisfy these interrogators. They want answers, but when the answers are given, they won't listen. They demand the truth, but when the truth is told, they shut their ears. Their disbelief runs deep. Now, at first, they didn't even believe the man had ever been blind. Did you catch that in the story? Verse number 18. Look at verse 18. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight. It wasn't until his parents were called, they swore that he was their son and that he had been born blind. I'm picturing these these parents, they're kind of anxious to be interrogated. They don't want to say too much or say the wrong thing. Are you sure this is your son? I mean, are you sure this is your son? And the mother's like, yes. How do you know? He's got a birthmark, the shape of Cypress, right here on his bottom. You know, I mean, like, how did this play out? We don't know. But somehow, they convinced them, no, this really is our son, we, we know. Well, when they couldn't disregard that this man had been born blind, they couldn't deny the miracle. They resolved to deny the miracle worker. That's verse number 16. Look at verse 16. This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. Look down at verse 24. We know that this man is a sinner. They hated Jesus so much that they were willing to abuse anyone associated with him. As you trace the account, the Pharisees won't listen to the testimony of the healed man. Look at verse 26. What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I've told you already and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear him again? Do you also want to become his disciples? When the blind blind man said that, like don't joke with the Pharisees, all right? (laughs) When the blind man said that, it's like the gloves came off. These guys show their true color. They revile him, verse 28. They insult him, verse 34, saying that he was born in utter sin. And finally, they excommunicate him from the synagogue, verse 34. They cast him out. Not much love from these religious leaders, is there? The system that he grew up in was legalistic. It was judgmental. It failed, to, it failed to exemplify the two great commandments. I mean, sure, he had a religion, but they weren't loving God and loving others. Look at the story. This rejection and disdain, this, this lack of love, however, wasn't just limited to the Pharisees. What's so painful about this story is that people in every sphere of this blind man's life, people in every sphere rejected him. In the religious sphere, they cast him out, verse 34. But we also see in verses 8 and 9, his own neighbors didn't know him. Look at verses 8 and 9. They couldn't even identify him positively. Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, it is he. Others said, no, it's like him. He kept saying, no, I am the man. This is his community. That's how well they know him. That's how much they care. Then there's one last layer of rejection. It comes from this man's own parents. His parents were so afraid of the Jews that they dissociated from their own son. They wouldn't wouldn't get wrapped up in the mess. You see it in verse 22. Look at verse 22. Ask him. He's of age. 
In other words, don't get us tangled up in this. So they throw him to the wolves. Verse 22, his parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus Christ, it, Jesus to be the Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. By the time we get to this spot in the story, this guy is unloved by everyone. His neighbors turn him in, the religious leaders cast him out, and his own parents throw him under the bus. When I read this, Psalm 2710 takes on new meaning for me. Psalm 2710 says this, for my father and my mother have forsaken me but the Lord will take me in. I wonder how many people can relate to this blind man today. I wonder how many people across this room have felt turned in or cast out or left alone at the very moment that you needed love the most. What's beautiful about this story, however, is that Jesus saw him, healed him, and loved him. We see it in verse number 35. Look at verse 35. We see that Jesus found him. It says, Jesus heard that, he had been that they had cast him out and having found him. So here's Jesus. He's looking for him. He's going after him. He's finding him. What I appreciate so much about this verse is that Jesus loves when no one else will. He found the outcast and he cared for him my friend, I'm not sure where you are at today. Maybe you feel all alone. Maybe you feel like an outsider. Maybe you feel betrayed. Maybe you feel like you don't fit in or you don't belong. But in that sort of condition, Jesus goes and finds you. Jesus goes to the island of misfit toys, and he loves those who have been rejected. Jesus sees us when no one else does. He heals us when no one else can, and he loves us when no one else will. I don't know how you picture the end of the story, but this is how I picture it. This man has his head down. His shoulders are slumped over, and he's trudging along this dusty road. The day that should have been the most joyful had somehow become the most painful. But then Jesus comes up next to this man. And I just picture him putting his arm on his shoulders. Verse 35. So do you believe in the son of man? The man thinks to himself, I recognize that voice. Why does that sound familiar? The healed man can't figure it out. And so verse 36, he answered, and who is the son of man, sir, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, you have seen him. And it is he who is speaking to you. I just, I just picture a warm smile on Jesus' face. The man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. It's like the whole story hits a crescendo right here. This man had been interrogated, he'd been insulted, and he'd been abandoned by everyone around him. And at the end of the trail and at the bottom of the barrel, Jesus found him and Jesus loved him when no one else would. So how do we respond to someone like Jesus? Someone who sees and heals and loves. 
Well, we should believe in him. We should worship him. For the healed man, physical and spiritual sight came together in Jesus. At that moment where Jesus revealed who he was, sight had less to do with the man's eyes and more to do with his heart of faith. That final question, verse 38. Do you believe in the Son of Man? It's such a great question. It's one that maybe we should ask ourselves this morning. Or maybe you should ask the person next to you. Do you believe in Jesus? The man immediately answered, Lord, I believe. And I think this story is recorded for us so that we would have the same response. Lord, I believe as well. Let's pray together. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes this morning? Would you reflect on the word and respond to the Lord? My friends, the way to sight is to admit that you're blind. Our darkness, our darkness becomes an occasion for his light. So won't you believe and worship Jesus today? He sees you in your blindness. He wants to heal you in your hurt. He loves you in your loneliness. Won't you receive him today? I wonder if there's someone here who feels invisible, left out, left over. Maybe you feel marginalized or overlooked. No one understands. My friend, if that's you, you must believe that Jesus sees you when no one else does. He loves you when no one else will. You can entrust yourself to him. I wonder if some of you are lost in darkness. You're trapped. You feel hopeless in your circumstance. You've tried this. You've tried that. Nothing seems to work. Nothing fixes it. Friend, isn't it time to allow Jesus to heal you? He's the only one who can. Run to him this morning. Admit that you're a sinner and repent. Commit yourself to him in faith. Submit your life to him. He is Lord and Master over all. Light of the world, you stepped down into our darkness. You opened our eyes so that we could see. So here we are to worship. Bow down and say that you are God.